So the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Vinny. Good to be with you again, friends, as we visit another installment of Monsterpiece Theater. Uh, you should know the format by now, but if you're just joining us, uh, one of your first episodes, what we do is we go back and we look for landmark films that we have not covered in their entirety yet. Uh, they fall through the crack someplace or another, and uh, they, they just don't make it to get their own treatment on the show, and we cover them. And so in the past, we've covered things like Shaun of the Dead or John Carpenter's The Thing. You know, just random odds and ends that we have mysteriously not covered yet. And so now, uh, tonight, we are talking about, surprise, surprise, John Carpenter again, John Carpenter's They Live, and... The Lost Boys. Hey! Hey, remember that time you said, no more vampire movies? Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I said no more Dracula movies. I remember vampire. No more sad goth operas. So it's <laughs> <This is> bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so Hot Toddy, what are we starting with? Let's go with They Live. They Live. Okay, is your microphone on, Hot Toddy? Yeah, okay, it looks like it is. That's just because you're still taking notes. Okay, got it. So, I was just writing down burns for later. It's hard to hear him under the bus he just threw. (laughs) Montgomery burns. Uh, So, all right. They live. Toddy, you got some dates and details? I do. It opened November 4th, 1988. Directed by a young John Carpenter. (laughs) <laughs> for Universal Pictures. Uh, starring Roddy Piper, Keith David, and Meg Foster. Okay. And it is good to note that, because uh, his last few Universal movies, which is really weird, but they pretty much all tanked, which was The Thing and Christine. So I think this is probably one of his first hits that he had had in, uh, in a while. Okay. What a film. Oh, yeah. What a film. I feel like this movie means more now than it than it did when it came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny because this is one I don't watch all the time, and it's funny every time I rewatch it, I forget how much I love this movie. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's so good. Th- this came well. Yeah, I probably saw it not long after it had been out. No, I saw it at home. I didn't see it on on the uh, at the movies, but it was one my dad showed us. Once again, sci-fi. Sci-fi is always a big hit for me. It was my first love, uh, and I was big into wrestling at that time too. And so it was a bonus to have Roddy Piper in something for yep. me to watch for '80s kids. I mean, oh, this yeah. is a, a home run. Yeah, yeah, and I appreciated it for what it was then. I could recognize it for what it was then, and it was sci-fi in its purest form, where you use it to slip in some commentary on uh, society without beating you over the head with it and disguising it a little bit within the genre. And I think that aspect of it has only gotten better as the years have gone by. This um, this was a later in life one for me. Really? This was not on my radar as a kid. Um, I, didn't, I don't remember anybody talking about it. <clears throat> but it was one that I'd say somewhere in my 20s. Kind of, especially once I, I started getting into going to the conventions. Um, I remember two standouts for me were this and Return of the Living Dead. Full disclosure, just those are not movies I watched growing up. Wow. And was completely enamored with both of them. Um, and still am. Uh, this, I've rewatched, uh, actually, through this on this morning, just for the hell of it, even though I pretty much know it inside and out at this point. Uh, but man, it's just, it's so good. And I echo, you know, what Vinny just said. It's, it's a nice vehicle for. Um, I, I think it, it's also even more so one of the most John Carpenter movies there are. 
Um, it's mm-hmm. not the best movie he's made, but I think it's right up there in terms of him and kind of his clear disdain for authority um, and kind of a almost punk rock attitude to him. Um, I feel like he really, really lets loose in a fun way with this movie that he didn't really with a lot of others. For those of the playing bingo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I went down to uh, see this at the Dollar Show. This definitely hit for me because uh, I'm not a big wrestling fan, but this is kind of, uh, to me, when they had the cartoons and the action figures, so I was a fan of that, and I was definitely a fan of of Roddy Piper. Um, I think Meg Foster might have been... She was in movies way before they lived, but Masters of the Universe. So, um, And I love John Carpenter, so I was excited to go see this one. And then, I don't know, it was probably like 10. So just... uh, it's an odd movie, but um, I don't know. It's just weird seeing like alien movies and stuff. And I feel like all the alien movies that came out, like I think of like Alien Nation. I feel like all the alien movies got really boring around this time period. And then Carpenter's was fun. I hope you're not implying that Alien Nation was boring. That's a great film. <sighs> when you're 10, though, is that what you're lining up to see? That's a good point. The Alien Nation show was better as a kid, but the Alien Nation movie was better as an adult. I was just going to, I thought you were going to be like, um, at 10, I was punching down to see Coneheads. Oh, yeah. No, I love I Coneheads. Like, you're going to choose Coneheads <laughs> over Alien Titty? <laughs> what the fuck just happened I here? I don't remember. There's <laughs> alien boobs in this movie? Like, there's boobs, but then didn't she, isn't she like one of the aliens? Didn't you put on the glasses? Have you seen this movie? My <laughs> yes. I watched it ten times in the last five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All will, right, I will Google it and pull it up later. I am perplexed. Yeah, I'm having fun. So, who <laughs> would who would like to lay down a synopsis of the film? Uh, Drifter rolls into town. I was gonna say we could all point at each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's not leave it to one. We'll just pop in where we think things need to be brought up. Rowdy Roddy Piper playing a drifter. Yep, not uh, uh, drifts into town looking for work. Can you do the synopsis? Uh, there is there is basically. He falls into a basically a hobo village, a shanty town, <laughs> a, of, uh, a Hooverville during the Depression, <laughs> and he's looking for work. He finds work. He he buddies up barely with with Keith David, his character in this, who's pretty much in the same situation. Um, and then at some point or another, I, I'm going to be a little fuzzy on this. I'm gonna be honest with you. There's strange really activity happening at a near church that's right in the area where they're yes. working and based out of. Yeah, and supposedly like they're part of the mission that's helping yes. the hobo. And that's village. really the the activity in and out of there is the crux for the first real act of the film where you're kind of wondering what's going on. It's suspicious. And, yeah, yeah, and slowly Roddy Piper's character, which we should clarify, does not have a name. He's listed as Nada. Um, it starts poking in and seeing that they're playing audio recordings of a service going on there so that they can actually be in there in discussion and kind of have that masked and uh, sending out transmissions that they're watching on TV, talking about how the government is... They are trying to manipulate you. They are trying to influence you. Yeah. Government, mm-hmm. big corporations, etc. Which certainly was, was the big and slamming indictment of the opposition in that decade with uh, the Reagan administration and all the just greedy, obsessive consumerism. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was a lot of what was driving kind of carpenter's take on that mm-hmm. so basically you're you as the audience are your your lens is roddy piper's character you stroll into this situation everything's revealed to him as it is revealed to you uh and i think the most memorable thing of the movie is eventually uh he finds these sunglasses that when you put them on all of a sudden things are not the way you perceive them normally uh magazine covers are just blank with the words obey like you see all these subliminal messages and then you see through that every person walking down the street is not a human being that they are aliens living among us but we are basically being programmed and uh almost lulled into a zombie-like existence that uh you stay docile while 
being a consumer and purchasing. Would, would you say that he was woke? <laughs> I'd say he was it's awake. also uh, it's also in a, in a, some ways a little ahead of its time with kind of the statements about them using up our our planet. Oh yeah, yeah, um, and the resources for it, which I always find kind of interesting and underappreciated because it's so easy to compare a lot of the other things to different generations since then. But it's like that's really the one thing that not everybody was shouting about that at that point in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a little bit of little bit ahead of its time. And again, I think it's just as relevant now, if not more. Sure. And where we are now as a society than it was even back then. It's like, such a slick vehicle for storytelling too cuz all you got to do is plop basic ass black sunglasses on these characters and then just frame it up with black and white photography to show that that's when you're looking through it. Yeah. It's such a cool cheap way to do it. Yeah. yeah. But it never feels cheap. It's no. perfect. No. What's interesting, too, we talk about it still being as relevant, if not more relevant now, uh, as I was looking at cover art or poster art to check in on Facebook with. I like to do that. And, um, you know, you look and it's interesting because people want to gig this from their own perspective. And so when you would look for art for this film... You could look and you could find, you know, the past four presidents in They Live Alien Makeup. So people make Donald Trump, They Live. People make Obama, They Live. Mm -hmm. W, Hillary. And so what's interesting, too, is I think that to really look at it from that perspective, we would say all the above, right? But a lot of people say, well, no, 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 it's just one party doing this or one group of people doing this. And it's like, no. You're in on it now, too. You know what I mean? It's, like, you're the one being... It's, quote, they. Yeah, yes. you're manipulated if you think it's just one side of you society. Many of the people who just recently learned about Rage Against the Machine and got mad at them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Right, so it's, 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 it's interesting to look at it now as social commentary to see people uh, trying to twist it just to their perspective, not realizing that it's... The whole point is it's everybody. Yeah, it it's, only adds to the charm it's watching all the elite. It's people all, not it's, know. Yeah, exactly. For sure, good I, I point. I don't know if it was such a secret, but both both sides of the government are fucking you, right? Oh my god, Todd, really? You can't, <laughs> you can't put that sort and, of information on the airways. And, and now that I'm woke, um, I just want to put a side note that now that I'm thinking of it, I think a woman was having sex, and then when they show everybody being alien, he's the alien. But also, don't yes, Google yes. "they live alien sex" or you'll come up with weird avatar, uh, <laughs> avatar porno. Did you send me the link just for laughs? Um, Let's be honest; that's not the weirdest thing that's been on your phone today. Uh, yeah. Not in the last five minutes. No. Uh, if a scuffle breaks out, it's because I put on my sunglasses. <laughs> uh, a fun fact: uh, I did. They live with the uh, what's the Trick or Treat Studios. I've found that uh, I've developed an allergy to latex, <laughs> and also nobody knew what the fuck I was doing, so which made it more fun. Oh yeah, you wore that to a Halloween party at a bar, didn't you? Yeah, and I had I had one of the Trump shirts on, so they just were like, "Oh, cool, you're voting for Trump." They didn't get it at all. <laughs> hey, glad you're here, bud. It's that burned baby looking thing. <laughs> that was me when I took the mask off, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's just so good, and it stays good, and it holds up. And so we watched it two nights ago, and Carrie, my wife, couldn't remember if if she had seen it or if she had not seen it. So if she had watched it, she was younger, and it just didn't land for her. And she was into it, like, ten minutes in. Like, she was like, oh, I'm not in the mood. She's like, I'm not in the mood to watch. You know, like, she was just kind of restless, whatever. And we put it in, and, and like, she's just glued to it engaged and it's like man it just has that it factor it does and another thing that i was a huge fan of as a kid was v yeah the television series and the the mini series and i always kind of equate these in my mind together uh because i i just think that again sci-fi when it's at its best is an allegory it's it's making social commentary without beating you over the head with it and i think both of those did that very well they live has got a there is a schlocky quality to it in the best way possible yeah because it's that love for 50s sci-fi I yes think, bleeding and that little. is it's very atomic age <clears throat> and also the 80s were real big uh 
I mean, even with with the Star Wars movies, the whole uh, underdog rebels fighting against something, that was a big thing in, in a lot of movies from the 70s and 80s, I noticed as I watched stuff again. And so I think that lands good, but of course we have to, we have to bring up the fight in the South alley yes. <laughs> between that's definitely on my list. Roddy Piper and Keith David, where Roddy Piper is trying to make him put on these sunglasses <laughs> so that he can see what he is seeing, and the longest fight in movie history Isn't takes South place. Park or Family Guy, South oh. Park, South Park. Isn't the the chicken uh, tribute to that too on Family Guy? Not as directly because the Jimmy and Timmy fight because that is, was like a long fight. Is shot for shot. Yeah, they do it exactly like yeah. that. Didn't you go to that filming location? I have. And you fought, yes, for your, it you was, fought your way out? It was sketchy. <laughs> uh, shout out to a friend of the show, Steve Thrasher, for going with me. Steve that's Thrasher! Alley in downtown Los Angeles. And it's uh, there was some there were some questionable characters who were interested in what I was doing <laughs> in that alley. <laughs> it was a, a really nice alley located right between Skid Row and the Cecil Hotel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah literally not far. Uh, but I, I actually went around and mapped up where they put the sunglasses on with the side of the buildings and stuff, because they're all right there in one little Is, area. Isn't there a, a hobo whacking it behind you in that yeah. photo? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it, it was interesting, but I th- that fight seemed so ridiculous, I had to go... Why we were down there. Uh, went about 11 a.m. too. And what's funny <laughs> is that Piper is a surprisingly good actor. He's, yeah. he's a little intense, but Hulk Hogan had a whole gimmick where he was Hollywood Hulk Hogan and had several movie credits. <laughs> he is a terrible actor. Could you, could you imagine Hulk Hogan in this role? <laughs> <laughs> but Roddy Piper really, again, it, it is slightly over the top. Yeah, but he also, I think, made good decisions with putting himself in movies that were going to be kind of tailored for him. Yes. Because yeah. you've got a, a guy in this that's a loner that is a man of few words because he's barely got any dialogue through the first so many, you know, first act of the movie. Yeah. There's some. Um, but he, he gets to rely on heavily on more intense moments and things where he kind of thrives at it. But you're right, he's excellent in the movie. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I literally said to Carrie, I was like, you know, for a guy who didn't do many movies, I mean, he crushes it in this. Yeah, he does. And... I mean, Todd, agree with me here. He, he was looking about the best he's ever looked. He was in great shape in this film. Yeah, because I, I and wasn't roided out, right? Like he was in the early. He wasn't 80s. on the gas. Yeah. Well, and I don't know. I'm, I, I'm sure. You know, I, I I think in my head, and I'm like, no, Hulk Hogan. But I feel like even Hulk Hogan and stuff wasn't at this point. Like everybody was normal-ish. Oh, size wise, well, that's because of the whole scandal that took place in the wrestling industry. I mean, like a few years scandal. later, like uh, I feel like. Like uh, I think like Macho Man, like I feel like they were all somewhat normal, and then a couple of years later they're all right now. Roddy once Piper. E- once everything blew over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the the thing that's because uh, Carpenter, of course, loves to use the same people. I almost feel like this was kind of made for Kurt Russell, and I don't know mm. why he's not in it. But I think Roddy Piper kind of fits the part too. So that's a that's that's good insight. Especially since um, I have to write it down because I I. Sadly, mix up the names, but Keith David, right? Yes, because I will say David Keith, who's a totally different actor. Yes, he was in White of the Eye. Uh, I'd also like to point out—I know I mentioned on the show before—but Keith David has challenged me to a piss race while standing <laughs> at a urinal. <laughs> I want to—I, uh, which I don't think was available the last con he did, but um, I definitely want to meet him. I realized he canceled because he was literally shooting uh, scenes for Nope, which is oh, pretty cool, pretty cool. Oh, nice. I did not know he was in Nope, so that's fun. So Piper's character, uh, there ends up there's a raid at the at the place. Like they're they've also developed contact lenses that they can put in, and not just the sunglasses. The sunglasses give you a terrible headache if you wear them for too long. So anyway, shit starts hitting pause, the fan. Pause real quick. I forgot to break this up. <laughs> it still makes me laugh every time. How much Keith David does not want to put on the sunglasses. Yes, he really is not happy. I'm like, you endured a five-minute ass-whooping <laughs> yeah. because you don't want... I don't want to get involved in this shit! Yeah, like, dude, if, some, if you think somebody's a little off and he thinks he's, what, a murderer? Yeah. He's like, just put him on. Yeah. You know what, bud? Let Humoring. me put him on. Yeah. yeah. My bad, oh, bud. Things do look silly. Yeah. You're not crazy. I like, love that they I even... I will fight someone for two hours for a MAGA hat trying to put it on my head, so I relate. <laughs> I love that... There's even scuffs on the back of his head 
from the fight. Like, <laughs> yep. they, and they are beat to shit. Like, the makeup on them. There's one part where it looks like his brains are exposed <laughs> on the back of his head. Now, was there, was there a backstory to that? Like, Carpenter told him, like, just kind of freestyle this since he's a wrestler. And then was having so much fun that he was like, we're using all And this. I think Piper brought a, choreographed a lot of it. Yeah, because yeah. there's a couple big... They're like, uh, you know, just go as crazy as you want. We won't put it all in the movie. And they're like, it's all in the movie. <laughs> it's like, we're putting all this shit in the <laughs> yeah. movie. Yeah, I don't I know. I feel like there was something I, weird. I felt like that. this was like a big 80s like male bonding thing, like Tango and Cash and stuff, where you're just... Uh, you know, like, we need, um, yeah, you guys are friends, but you gotta beat the shit out of each other for about a good 20 minutes. <laughs> so when, uh, Piper's character goes to start taking it to the aliens, and of course we have the iconic, <laughs> oh, yeah. iconic so, line say it. of him saying, who wants it, who wants it? You get it. You get it. I've come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. <laughs> that's why I let you have it, because I, I get mixed up, too. And I sometimes say, I'm, I'm here to chew ass. <laughs> and bubble up some gum. <laughs> and I didn't want to mess it up. Well, and it's funny, too, because I forget every time that he's got, like, four or five hilarious one-liners. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's so good. There's a reason why this works so well. I, yeah. I did meet him, and that's what he put on my poster. Also... I was had a sweater on, which yes, oh, it was yeah. winter, but we met it's at the same time. It's at a con, and it doesn't matter. I'm going to be sweating my ass off. He thought I was crying. Yeah, he did. <laughs> I can vouch. for And this. he was like, I know it was, became a special moment because he's like, he was so touched. Yeah, but he, he was, was just so like, sweet to Todd. He's like, yeah. oh, come here, buddy. Yeah, he was like, come. I was like, I am crying. And I was like, with oh, every Todd. celebrity now, <laughs> this is a, it looked like a charity moment. I'm like, which is waiting to take the picture. Like, what's happening? What's happening? <laughs> I think everybody here at the table met Piper at one yep. point. Yep. Didn't we? He was and, so cool and was the coolest. I actually handled for him for about 20 minutes <laughs> during that the, same week. He would like he would talk to you for awkward periods of time. Yeah, the line was getting angry because he wouldn't quit small talking me <laughs> when I first got there. He's like, well, tell me what you do, buddy. What do you do for a living when you aren't balling? volunteering here i was like uh like i mean he was a really really nice yeah, guy he was. and, and we, now, now that i think i was gonna say uh, I, I feel like he's one of those two where he pushed his table to the wall i don't even remember him sitting down no yeah i mean uh was that your first con Vinny? no uh, no no because i had vended at a con years before that no. that's the first time i've been back to one in years because that was the first time you met professor right yes we yes. went to days of the dead and uh <laughs> I always joke it was make a wish for Vinny Day because he was he was short on cash, so me and Professor would let Vinny hop in any picture with us, which we they would to... never let you do now. No, not in a million years. <laughs> Hell, neither one of us paid to meet Heather Langenkamp, but because we were with Professor, she was like, "You guys want a picture too?" That's true. Like, yes, we do. That's true. But Piper, Piper was so cool. Uh, you know, rubbing your shoulder. Hey, what's your Looking name? Looking you champ? dead in the eye the whole time. It was your moment with him. Yeah. Like, where are you guys from? Muncie. Oh, I had some wild nights with Don Morocco and Muncie. <laughs> yeah. you know? and, like, talking to him about, like, whatever current wrestling feuds were going on and him saying, oh, I'd kill that motherfucker if he talked about my family like that, you know? <laughs> it's just, just the most genuine guy. Just That dude grew up with nothing. He was orphaned and on his own, I think, when he by the time he was 15. And he knew that the only reason he was able to have the life that he had and the life he was able to give his kids and his wife was because of the fans and he appreciated every single person that came up that not a nicer guy had, had I met at conventions there's great stories about Ric Flair going to wrestle in like Puerto Rico and him taking Piper as a security guard because he was the only guy he could trust and, like, <laughs> and Piper would get paid in cocaine <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was gonna say there's a, a wife swap or whatever that celebrity wife. Oh, I remember swap. that. Yeah, but um, man, I was doing it. Might have been still in school or doing something. I was just putting something on the background, and it was the celebrities edition. And it was all celebrities that do cons. So it was like Tracy Lords and oh. um, they had. Um, and this is like shortly after he died too, so it just made it all the more emotional. But it was Roddy Piper. And Ric Flair, and they didn't. They don't, I guess, know who they're swapping with. Uh, so the wives, when they go to each other's home, as soon as they walk in, they see where they're at, and it was such a good episode. And like, I think at the end, they give like a special tribute that where he had passed away. And yeah, yeah, what a cool guy. 
for so, sure. And come to think of it, when you met Meg Foster, she was really sweet. Everybody in this movie's great. What a great crowd. Yeah. I, <laughs> Thanks for listening. I'm not sure <laughs> she hugged me because she felt I needed it or she molested me and I, I it didn't matter. It didn't matter. She was good times. Vinny, you want to hit us with the, the closer here? What's uh... uh So basically we end up finding out that there's like this, they've got basically like a stargate where they're able to <laughs> beam out via this satellite and travel across the galaxy and come and go and... They find out that it's on top of the television station in town. So Keith David, Roddy Piper, and Meg Foster's character all go into this place to basically shoot their way through it so they can go up and destroy this this uh, satellite dish. But before they get up there, that Jezebel, <laughs> Meg Foster, turns she, out she's working for she them. They... What about earlier in the film where she smokes him in the back of the head with a coffee mug and throws him? <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> most underrated part of that movie yeah, is him going out of that Hollywood Hills home. <laughs> 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 Sends him right down the hill. Double crossed him, but in his dying moves, he ends the transmission. He blows her up, and then the disguises of the aliens are no good. Everyone's exposed. And that's how you leave the movie. Yep. It's people Wakes in bars looking up. over, and there's <laughs> aliens sitting did, there among them. I did recreate the bar photo for uh, <laughs> for tr- that was that that was all worth all, all the burns I got on my face. And you know they survived because if there's one thing Americans do, it's kill things they don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, that thing's different. Shoot it! Shoot it! It's coming right for us. <laughs> But that movie's great. I, it may have been we. I think it came up in conversation on one of the episodes we had done a while back, and I think in that moment I realized I didn't own it. Oh, and man. I, uh, while we sat there, ordered it on Blu-ray, and uh, so yeah, that that one's been with me most of my life. <laughs> that I'll go back and watch that one. It just made a big impact when I was a kid, and I, it's one of those things that has held up over time. I had a copy, but I bought it after special edition time and so I didn't get the slipcase <laughs> and then Carrie's cousin gave it to us as a gift with the slipcase and I love that it's got the buy sticker yep. on it and so I was able to gift my copy to someone else and keep that one with the slipcase yeah that was one of my first Scream Factories I and remember as, being in love with it as much as I love that movie I don't know that I would be angry if they remade it because I don't think it takes anything away from the original if you remake it. But I think if it was done right, I think it could be just as good if some, the right person got it and did a remake. Well, it's not like the concept's not happening right now. so I, uh, I, I think a remake could be interesting if they went really intricate and big budget with yes. it. That's where I think you can uh, have a reason to remake it. And the reason is the budget and where special effects are now. I think could enhance the story. Yeah. Well, well, what a film! John Carpenter's They Live, uh, eight thumbs all the way up at this table. Couldn't recommend it enough. So, what is our next film, Hot Toddy? Oh, so coming up next is The Lost Boys, uh, released July thirty first, nineteen eighty seven, starring. Jason Patrick, Kiefer Sutherland, Corey Haim, Jamie Gertz, Diane Wiest, Corey Feldman, Edward Herman, Alex Winter, and directed by Joel Schumacher, which is kind of ironic that he took a kid's movie because Richard Donner, after Goonies, was doing the Peter Pan vampire movie and made it what it is, and then people hated him years later when he kind of did the opposite uh, to Batman. So you're still pushing that Peter Pan narrative. It is true. <laughs> true, true. Would you say he still believes? I do still believe. I'm sorry. Todd is the Q of the movie world. <laughs> Roll your eyes, Vinny. You're like I didn't bring the book because I forgot it. Are we doing the thing uh, with no uh, shirts and My girlfriend, and she's the in the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> she goes to a different school. <laughs> yeah, you, have, you never met her. <laughs> Boy, Lost Boys. Lost Boys. Um, this is another one I saw. Uh, I remember bits of as a kid. I remember They Live, because you know, I've shared before, I wasn't big into horror as a kid, but both of these movies I remember 
uh, you know, my parents renting them or something, and me seeing enough of them to be like, oh, these are kind of cool. I'm still scared, but. Um, so I do have memories of childhood. I just, this one I just pictured well. you catching a little bit on like TV four, and then you went out and shot a pig. <laughs> <laughs> Not far off, uh, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, as we bring up, we grew up on the farmer four. Me yeah. and Vinny did. So you get ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox. You had PBS, but no one watched it. I mean, I mean, I, mean, I lived. Oh, in, I did. <laughs> I lived in town, so I had that. But I did stay at my aunt's, who didn't live very far from where you lived, and. That's pretty much where I spent my weekends and stuff, so that's that's the programming. I'm pre- pretty sure Sammy Terry and Benny Hill, I think that's the shows we watched. That is why in the 80s, the video store, and even better, the every corner store and grocery store, when they got a video <laughs> section in it, was a game changer for people who lived like I did. When the grocery store just had a corner <laughs> that was two walls that had, you know, 40 VHS tapes on it. Yep. I remember meatballs being on everybody's shelf during those, those years. But the Lost Boys was one I didn't see it in the theater, saw it, home video, and I was pretty young, I guess, when I saw it and loved it. Because, I mean, it was like a lot of things during that time period. It was kids, an adventure, just like Goonies and Monster Squad and all that. It was kids fighting against these things. And, okay, I'll agree that the Lost Boys in name comes from Peter Pan and the vampires are teenagers who don't grow up so in that way they're lost boys like in Peter Pan that is where the similarities end that's it but the original script was different but that's not what's out the remake probably has it and will be dog shit I concur it's kind of fun it's like they have their backs to each other before a duel <laughs> Yeah, this um, I this is supremely entertaining. I, I feel like sometimes it's almost taken for granted because of the star-studded cast and the big-time director that made it. Like it's this overly polished thing without the elements of danger that a lot of horror movies have, especially from the, that beloved decade. But this thing, from the minute the credits start rolling, even before a line of dialogue has happened, is already set the tone for entertainment. The great opening with Cry Little Sister playing with those huge shots coming in over the water the boardwalk there it's uh from start to finish it is so entertaining and it it pulls on elements i feel like kind of from that amblin brand that you're talking about you know from spielberg and then the goonies and the adventure stuff from the decade but it never leans too heavily in one or the other it's this really underappreciated balance and i can remember stumbling across this because i grew up a, a massive silver bullet fan and so to see Corey Haim in another movie was exciting. It's like, oh, this is vampires. What the hell is this? And then all these elements that we're talking about with kind of the, the, the youth angle of it. It was such a fun movie. And it still is. Like, you can watch it as an adult and not have to rely on nostalgia for it to be entertaining. It's just a good movie. Yeah. And they were, they were modern vampires yeah. at that. And at that age, I don't think I had been exposed to that a whole lot. I love that they that they rip it off in uh, what we do in the shadows. Do you like biscotti? <laughs> do you like biscotti? <laughs> well, I honestly don't know what he's saying. I, well, he kept asking me if I like biscotti. <laughs> <laughs> what about Vems? <laughs> do you guys remember, were you there for when G. Tom Mack was a horror hound? Playing no, the show. you sent video. Okay. I was there. Well, G. Tom Mack was out there doing the Cry Little Sister and all that. Oh, and, yeah. and the guy who played Laddie was into his cups next to us <laughs> and was like, give it up for my boy, man. We're like, yeah, man, it's good. He's like, give it up for my boy. <laughs> get a little pushy. But, uh, yeah, uh, we'll just get right into this. I was teasing Brian Blair because he kept talking about seeing the saxophone guy at the after party watching play and I was teasing him about it we went and then Tim Capello came out rocked an extended version of yeah. I Still Believe he does still believe he won me over yeah. I, it, was, it was the single most fun moment at a con I'd ever had in my life Vinny was out there with a sign that said your music saved me <laughs> I, he had that and I looked over and Vinny had his shirt off he had that sign up <laughs> The next day I go walking through, he's walking out of the room that he's signing in, 
and uh, I'm walking towards him. I said, hey, man, I just wanted to tell you. I said, me and my, my buddy, the vendor here, when I work the shows with him, we do a lot of these. I said, and honestly, as years go by, you get a little jaded with us. I, I got to be honest with you. I said, last night when you were playing, I said, that, that was probably the best moment I've had at a con ever. And he says, oh, man, that makes me feel so good. Give me a hug. And straight up, like, total surfer, dude, like, gave me a big-ass hug. Told me, man, that makes me feel so good. Thank you so much. And then went all his way. I was like, man, Tim Capello is a solid motherfucker. <laughs> and he getting ready to be a, a black acre in Indy <laughs> here next few weeks. Really? Uh-huh. Nice. And he used to play for uh, Tina Turner. Tina Turner. Yep. Oh. Yeah, but seriously, so we're way off into the. Yeah, it's on, okay. It's worth talking about yeah, because he's magic, and his performance is so ridiculous that it should be lampooned. But it's not. No. Every time, like when Gertz comes bouncing in, dancing, I'm so into it. I'm like, I wish I was down there here for this ridiculous <laughs> bullshit. He's up here shirtless and oil yeah. playing a saxophone, and everybody's into and it. And the best part of Horrorhound, he came out and just played that one song for five minutes. A place erupted and he left. He was done. That was it. Just the one song. It was beautiful. Man. Uh, well, let's shift from from that character to another character that really sells the movie for me, and that's Grandpa. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Underrated. I mean, so good. So good. So much fun. Uh, Man's got his own shelf on the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> Who can argue with him? Huh? Who can argue with? Doesn't him? it have a title on it? Like Grandpa's shelf, <laughs> what keeps his double? What audios. I think is great about that character is there is in that era of movies, horror movies especially. There's that trope of parents never believing the kids. Yep. And then you get that stinger at the end where it's like they didn't think an adult would believe him so much, but Grandpa knew the entire. If they'd have went to him first, yeah. Everything would have been totally different, and I think that was a great, great little thing that they did with that movie as well. Well, and he, I think he's also kind of riffing on that kind of you know beach bum culture, like where even though he's an old man, he's just living. Yeah. They're talking about it being the Myrtle ca- murder capital of the world, and he's like, yeah, there's there's some bad stuff around here, but he's still going out, finding women, having a good time. Do you know, his life. Do you know who Jason Patrick's grandfather is? Um, I know his honeymoon, dad. Honeymooners. Jackie Gleason. Uh, Crazy. We touched him. I think I did. I leave Jason out? Miller from The Exorcist. Wait, who did I put deodorant on? Was that Kiefer? I had uh, so much deodorant. Yeah, on he got it con. on me, and I thought Patrick got it on me. <laughs> and then I looked. I was like, Oh, that's Todd's deodorant on me. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure I scarred Kiefer. So uh, probably the last kind. Are, are we going to Kiefer hanging there? <laughs> are we going to touch on the uh, plot of this movie at all? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like, Are you going to touch on the gay vampirism? <laughs> That's you could have just said vampirism, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Period. I, I was going to say real quick uh, about the about Grandpa. I kind of feel like uh, that played a good part too. That um, I think when I watched the movie, I never, even when they're trying to bust him out, I still didn't think anything of um, Edward Herman. Mm-hmm. To me, I felt like Kiefer Sutherland was like the the leader. Of oh the, yeah, because he was male. such a nerd. Yeah, you, you wouldn't have. Yeah, they did some good bait. Like that guy usually just plays FDR. What the hell is he doing in this? <laughs> so should we hit a quick synopsis? Sure. Yeah, it's it, the most basic of plots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 two boys brothers, uh, Michael and what Sam, uh-huh. uh, move to Santa Carla, fictional uh, location there that is uh, supposedly the murder capital of the world. They're moving there with their mom. Uh, they're going to live with their grandpa, as uh, we previously referenced, and then they have fallen on hard times. Yes, and so. We kind of branch off each of them as they try and fit into their own new kind of existence here. Uh, Michael quickly becomes enamored with the girl he sees at the concert performance down at the boardwalk and starts getting uh, wrapped up in the local young uh, biker group. Kind of ride, what are they riding? Dirt bikes around. And uh, Sam quickly starts finding comfort in the local comic shop and meeting the Frog Brothers. The Frog Brothers. Those are the guys that I identified with most. And so one of those, you got uh, Corey Feldman, another teaming with the Corys here. Um, Which is the real tie-in to Monster Squad is the Frog Brothers. Yeah. And so they kind of give a lot of the the classic rundown of of vampires and and how they're dealing with them in the area. And then uh, the mom, played by Diane Weist, is starting to uh, find a budding relationship in a guy, Max, that runs the video store there. And so you kind of watch as those three kind of interplay, and we start to see that there actually is 
a vampire problem here. And lo and behold, the biker group that Michael is getting involved with are those vampires. That's them. Thoughts? I think... I think they do a good a good job of first grounding you in the real world before they start to ease you into the supernatural side of things. Yeah. So it eases you in, and I think that's good for uh, the general public when they're going to see a movie and maybe not necessarily looking for what we're looking for in a movie like this. So I think they do a very good job of doing that. Uh, the characters... The casting was great. And... Yeah. and, and Corey Haim was such a likable actor, mm-hmm. and Kiefer obviously had he had a mystery about him as an actor at a very young age that I yeah. think it takes a lot of other actors a while to to be able to emanate that kind of a uh, it's almost a magnetism, I guess. But he had it at a very young age, and it worked so well in this movie. Yeah, that's very true. A lot of a lot of it hinges on him being able to be kind of charismatic as as the leader of that group of youngsters. Yeah, uh, right. Because he, he's in a way, he's not a cult leader, but like you've got to fall in line with this guy. Like he's got to draw you in. Sure. To, yeah. To, and especially with all the 80s youth stuff in movies, like, he's got to sell it. Yep. Like, the whole movie is dependent on, he's got to be basically cool, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Are they, are they going to fight, or are they going to fuck? <laughs> but, this is also the shoot, first... Shoot your <laughs> shot, Todd. Make your pick. I mean, I don't need to on this one, but it's there. Uh, I, I will say, like, I, I feel like, even the opening scene, because, like, uh, I, I, whatever pay channel this came on, I didn't get to see it at the movies either. I remember people talking about how funny this movie was, and this is another one where I'm like, I didn't feel very funny. <laughs> so this came on late at night the first time. I, th- I don't even think I watched it all the way through. Because just the, to me, the opening song is creepy as fuck. Yeah. Um, and then you don't really see much. Like, you see that attack, but you don't see the vampires. It's all POV, and I think it... I don't know if that was planned that way to begin with, but I think it works better than if you would have seen them on wires. Yeah, and oh. I, well, and I feel like Fright Night touched on some of it a little bit, but like this one, uh, this one, like you're not even safe in a crowd and stuff. Like they're at where everybody's hanging out, and I feel like too, like, um, like I feel like that's where '80s movies started to kind of like be different from our parents because when am I going to be in a castle? But when am I going to be at a beach partying with everybody? <laughs> Um, Never. And then we you live see in Indiana. all these, like, if you watch in the movie, you keep seeing, like, all these missing posters. And, yes. And I think, like, just the um, the the two-week trip that we did, which we ended up stopping. Is it Santa Monica Pier that... Where's this filmed at? Where, oh, this is filmed at Santa Cruz, Santa which Cruz. is up north. Sure. So... That's <laughs> my, my, my turf, the bay. So we, we went to uh, the theme park, which I don't know that we'll ever get the experience because it was closed for covid but you could still uh walk up and down while everything shut down um so that added a whole element to it um but i don't know where i was going oh i'm not gonna find myself <laughs> in a castle and then um damn you candy and this brain <laughs> alzheimer's you, you is want, real you want us to jump in here one thing you're mentioning though that i think is a good point is that this completely steps away from all of the gothic elements of vampire movies. Yes. In a good way. Um, and it's it's a much more updated approach to kind of what was in the zeitgeist at that point because there was a lot of issues with peer pressure, drug use, unprotected sex. And so you've got all of these kind of vibes that are already swirling around at that time for young people. And so you can kind of apply it with that. He's getting mixed in with this group. It's, you know, going out at night and kind of flipping over. and uh, But the things that they do that kind of riff on stuff with vampires, they never go too far or too traditional with. And that's what I love. Like, they go to the bridge and just hop off. That's like, a, what, a three-minute scene there? But it's so memorable. Yeah. And it, most movies would have drugged that out in showing what a vampire can do. And there is just this fun way of, like, join the gang. 
don't know. I, I think that's one of the best scenes of the movie. Yeah. That that bridge, by the way, definitely some Hollywood stuff because uh, uh not high. Yeah, up. not a not a high jump at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really crazy to think about that. Three of the best vampire films ever made were in the '80s, and they got away from gothic kind of stuff. Fright Night dealt with it a little bit, but you get Fright Night, Lost Boys, and Near Dark. Yeah, it's true. I think I think Fright Night's that perfect transition because it had both, but then Near, Near Dark is almost like the future of of where everything was going. Yeah, and then suburbs, western, <laughs> and you know, basically like a beach movie. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, it's like a, a trilogy from a Annette Fudiocello. I can't say <laughs> Annette Fudiocello. <laughs> Um, I think I think the cast is probably definitely a thing that set this off. Like every everybody, even the even the little kid, like everybody was perfect in this movie. Um, and then Kiefer, to me, I think that's what kind of like Vinny was saying, where just he plays these like prick characters, but you want him to like you, and I think that fits in with every movie he does. Like even Stand by Me. I'm like, well, he's a dick, but I'd still probably try to hang out with him. I still want to be... I I want him to think I'm cool. Yes. I liked... Even as a kid, I found it interesting because it was the first time I had really ever seen a vampire with the fangs located. Mm. Where they were. And also the facial changes from when they were in their full vampire form and when they were passing as human. I always liked that design aspect. And I think that's another thing that... They did. That was really cool. A cool choice to make was like when Kiefer's character finally faces off against Michael, and he ends up falling into the antlers and dying. And then it goes back to him, and the stubble's gone off of his face, and he just looks so much more like a a kid, yeah, laying there and innocent. And on the flip side of that, I think it's great when when it's revealed that uh, the mom's boyfriend is actually the the leader of yeah. all of them and because he was so dorky and played such a goody goody then to have that actor flip on you with the makeup and he becomes so sinister so fast i think that that's i a compliment to both of, of those actors i guess and some of the choices that were made by the director i think those elements work so well in that movie for sure I love the Frog Brothers are like, it's your mom's boyfriend, man. He's got hellhounds. <laughs> you know, he's got the mean dogs and everything like that. I like it when they're questioning him about when he thinks his brother's a vampire. Does he sleep all day? Does he have bad breath? He's like, yeah, he's been sleeping all day. He's always had bad breath, though. <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines. <laughs> yeah, it's a good twist to have the mom's boyfriend be. Because you know, it's debunked. Like, they try to out him as a vampire and all their dumb shit fails. And then you play in some of those old gothic tropes where, well, mm-hmm. you, you invited him in, you're powerless. And so he, you're, you don't suspect him. And then when he turns like that, it's it's just great. My own brother. Goddamn. The blood-sucking Which, vampire. Uh, that, that first scene, too, where uh, Corey Haim is taking a bath and he dunks under and his brother comes in as the vampire and gets bit by the dog. What about the mm. look? What'd you do to my dog, you <laughs> asshole? <laughs> now we're just devolving into throwing out quotes. <laughs> That's all right. They, hey, do y'all want to hear us just keep quoting the movie? <laughs> For as, as entertaining as the movie is, the, the, the acts aren't that detailed. We really have these three paths of fitting in there and they all collide at the end. Well, and they just, they do a great job. It, it's never... It's never too dark. The humor is never too much. It's sprinkled in just the right amount. And neither of those things affect the flavor of the other in a negative way. Which yeah. is a quite the balancing act for something like this. But they it's carried off flawlessly. Yeah, and, and we're underselling the mom too. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the actress playing that yep. role, yep. the story. I mean, she's just trying to get back on her feet, moving back in with her dad. Trying to give the kids a, a good life. What a what a shithole to have to move to, down in your luck too. Damn, <laughs> beach parties. Boy, it's hard Four times. Months. Yeah, I hate it. Nothing like it. Um, there is, um, I think too. It was really becoming way more common for situations where single parents were were leaving 
kids on their own at yeah. that point too. So I think that's also a big kind of moment and snapshot of the youth at that point yeah. in the eighties that yeah. a lot of kids uh, could probably kids. identify with. Yeah. Now that's a very good point. For shizzle. <laughs> All right. Anything more to say on the lost boys? Uh, just that I feel like it, in tonally it does the balancing act, but it also kind of in the way that American werewolf always does, it always sets out to entertain first, then have, you know, the scares and the laughs and there to balance. But it's like, I always feel like from the minute this movie starts, they want to keep you entertained. And they build up to a satisfying ending uh, where we reveal, you know, Max, you know, as, as the head of all of it in the area. And everybody's kind of new existence here and the Frog Brothers and all that just kind of colliding at the house before Grandpa saves the day. Yeah. And, and I, I think uh, a thing that saves both films and, and probably every movie that we pretty much talk about in these are um, is the effects and the makeup and and practical um, where you know even they live could have probably done a bunch of dumb stuff and CGI didn't quite exist but uh, there's just something better I don't know to me uh, practical stands out and it stands up so I think if they would have done some goofiness with their uh, and not makeup that we probably wouldn't be talking about this movie. There, there's are. a reason I haven't watched any of the sequels of to this yeah. because I love this movie too much, and that's no. why I've not watched any of this. One of our co-hosts is probably about to defend them. I I can't. The, there, there's <laughs> one one of them's meh. The other one's horrible. Yeah, I won't do it. And that's I. It's that's the same advice I would. Get. And now I know this one from experience, though. I tell people, if you haven't seen Godfather three, don't. I feel it's probably the same bet with the Lost Boys sequels. Just don't. Yeah, I haven't seen them. Yeah, I haven't either. And I had a deal. I could have got like both of them for five bucks, and I was like, I'm good. <laughs> seems, this seems a bit out of your price range. It is high. It's a little high. Yeah. It's a little high. Two movies, five bucks? No. Yeah, two movies I've never seen. Not happening. <laughs> Sight unseen. Five dollars? Give me a break. All right. Well, thank you, friends, for joining us for another installment of Monsterpiece Theater as we talked about some big bangers with They Live and The Lost Boys. Damn, yeah. <laughs> so, signing off. For another episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I've been joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Vinny, Hot Toddy. Stay scary. <laughs>